Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. Our first uh, new Comic Wednesday of the year. Pretty solid one. Uh, a lot of good Marvel books. Uh, was a little lighter week from DC. Just a reminder, everybody, if you're looking for the DC books, go check out our DC Spotlight from yesterday. There are spoilers, as opposed to this show, which will be spoiler-free. Uh, and also, don't forget, daily in 2022, Spawn. So it's the 30th anniversary of Spawn. We're covering one issue of Spawn every day on the comic source because we're just that crazy. So anyway, let's go ahead and dive into... Uh, first book we're going to talk about, uh, it is the Spider-Man Beyond story that's continuing in issue number 84. This one's written by Cody Ziegler. We have Paco Medina on art. Espin Grutchergen does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, this was one of yours, Jay. What do you think? I liked it because uh, like, I guess with the uh, two issues before it was like a Halloween one. Uh, the last one dealt with Peter. And uh, this one focuses on Ben. So I guess if they go back and forth, it's not too bad of a story, I guess. Uh, but it's pretty good. Uh, it takes off where we've seen uh, Doc Ock uh, want to go to the Beyond Corps because he's got a, a bone to pick with him, to say. Uh, this is good. Uh, we've uh, see Ben trying to do the date thing. Uh, of course, you know, that's not going to happen because Doc Ock is going to visit the uh, Beyond Corps preparation. It's good. Uh, he's there for a reason, you know, um, we find out why later on, uh, but the ending that that was because I don't give away too much of the story, but the ending was good because uh, Doc got doing the classic Doc Ock thing, you know, does his thing at the end. What that was kind of a nice touch to the uh, the story, but yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, the artwork is great, you know, in this one, and uh, I just like that we're back on track with the story instead of you know going off to whatever it was the last couple issues ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I. I I think that they're maybe they're taking a little bit of liberty with spotlighting this character or that character because they can afford to because it comes out every week. Um, so I do sort of wish that it was a little more focused on getting the story moving along quicker, but at the same time, it does come out every week. So, you know, it's sort of a catch 22. I've, I've talked about it in the past, how when they, they put out these books at, that come out every week, you, I feel like you don't get as as much of a quality of a story as you would get because the writers are like, well, I don't need to worry about squeezing it in because we have whatever, 80 pages a month in this case to tell the story. So everything gets put in there, maybe some things that don't necessarily need to get put in there. Um, but I do agree with you that, that this issue, the pacing on this issue is better than a lot of the previous ones. And yeah, classic Doc Ock, spider-man battle even if in this case the spider-man happens to be ben riley although it is strange that we didn't even get a single page of of peter in this issue which is a little strange but anyway uh great the art by paco medina great uh really like the colors by espen grudergen so good job all around uh okay first book i'm going to talk about is from image uh, i've talked about the previous two it's a thing called truth it's from writer yolanda zanfardino the art is by elisa romboli they're both italian creators uh, i've spoken with yolanda asked her about coming on the show <laughs> like oh, i'm really embarrassed of my english uh maybe someday but anyway um the issue is uh, story is is interesting it's about a scientist who had her work stolen from her right when she made a breakthrough which isn't the most original thing in the world but she chooses to quit her job she kind of goes on a drinking bender sleeps it off in the car and while she's sleeping it off in the car this other woman comes and steals her car with while uh, the scientist is sleeping in the back seat so sort of a Thelma and Louise like skewed if you will because uh, we learned in the second issue about uh, the woman that stole the car and she's sort of on a mission because her, she was very close with her brother. Her brother died without fulfilling any of his dreams. And he was a big movie buff. And he, he had this uh, journal of all the scenes and uh, of movies that he loved and places he wanted to go travel the world and, and reenact those scenes and, and do some sort of crazy stuff. And so she 
is sort of on the on the mission to do that, which doesn't have really any money or resources, which is why she steals this scientist car. So uh, they're definitely an odd couple. This is the first issue where we really see them thrown together, actually performing what they call missions um, that uh, that Dorian, that's the girl, that, the, the woman that stole the car uh, that Dorian's brother wrote down in this uh, in this journal. So very much slice of life, but it, it does seem like there's a lot of stuff in the past. There's stuff in the past with Dorian that seems mysterious. Um that it still needs to be explored. And there's certainly stuff with uh, the scientist. I can't remember what her name is off the top of my head right now. Uh, Cause Dorian always just calls her doc. Um, but there's definitely stuff to be explored with her story as well. And the fact that this corporation she worked for uh, basically stole her research. And, you know, I, I sort of thought when Dorian first stole, stole the car uh, with the doctor in it, that Dorian knew something. She was some sort of uh, industrial spy or was going to help the doctor get her revenge on the people. So I, I still think it'll go that way, but just not in the way that I'm expecting. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic between the two uh, main female characters here and beautiful art, beautiful color work. So uh, I like the pacing. Um, this issue feels a little bit like set up, just establishing the relationship between the scientist and Dorian. I uh, didn't really, I mean, the first issue we met the scientist and learned about her sort of bad situation. And again, there was that a little bit of foreshadowing felt like she would get her revenge in some way, or at least the focus of the story would be how she would get her revenge on the corporation that stole her work and fired her. And the second one was introducing Dorian. And now this one, again, it doesn't deal with either of their past, but more about their, their what they're establishing with their current relationship is and seeing them kind of grow their friendship so a little bit of setup, but uh, definitely curious to see where it goes next. And, and you know, the, the title is interesting, uh, a thing called truth. And in a way, both these women are searching for their identities, the, the truth about themselves. And the impression I've gotten from the first three issues is that sometimes you need someone else's perspective on who you are as a person to to know the truth about yourself, right? Like you, you live with yourself, you see your own face in the mirror every day. And so you're not exactly, and you live with your own thoughts every day, all day. So you're not exactly unbiased when it comes to the truth about yourselves, you know, uh, yourself, sometimes you're, you're too close and you don't have perspective. And so it sort of seems to me like the, the truth that these women might find or might discover about themselves, about their true identities may be found in the way they perceive each other. So uh, I find that to be a, a really interesting hook. So we'll see if I'm right about that. Uh, okay, next up we have a new uh, Aftershock title, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, Jay did as well. It's called Bylines in Blood. It's written by Erica Schultz and Van Jensen. And man, we haven't covered a Van Jensen comic on here in a long time. So great to have Van, uh, some work from Van back on the show. Uh, Aneki is the artist. Cardinal Ray does the letters. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought this was fascinating. And it was um, it was a pretty big chunk of story too. It was like 28, 30 pages, something like that. Well, if you count the back matter, I think it was like 28 pages. So uh, anyway, give us your thoughts, Jay. Yeah, the title was interesting. It's like uh, bylines of blood. I was like, oh yeah, because uh, it's the paper, the 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 writer caught in a little thing. I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up. I was like, okay, that's what I thought it was. So it was interesting how they did this title like that. Uh, so I know that the main character, she's uh, Indian, and uh, it's I guess the name is pronounced Suhatea. I hope I did did that right. <laughs> I had to look it up because I wanted to make sure I pronounced it correctly. But uh, it's a it's a great story. Uh, she's a was a journalist, but then she became a private detective and she's, you know, um, working on a, a case for an old mentor. There was a lot, like I said, going on in the story. I don't want to get away too much, but there was a lot of, uh, I guess, drama with her family. Uh, we know that, you know, she comes for money, but it doesn't take the money. Um, she's got her own personal demons as well because she's got some uh, vices, I guess, that uh, she still hasn't got, up, got off of yet. But the whole uh, the whole murder thing is really cool because Annie, you get like a little. Uh, I, I guess it's supposed to be in the future because I'm guessing because I guess I feel like they took it from our timeline when instead of a, a epidemic they had a, a plague, but uh, they call and then um, 
it changes a person's pers- uh, look. They, you know, they got you know they got white hair, and I'm not giving too much on that because they talk about the, the white hair and your face is white, and uh, they call them uh, was it Clorox? I think was the name they give these nicknames. So they're kind of isolated people, and it kind of felt kind of like what we're dealing with here. It's like you know, do we kind of separate the vax from the unvax? So I don't know. It felt kind of eerie that it, it was like a. a you can put it to what we're dealing with, what's going on in the book. But I guess it's in the future because there's a lot of technology that we see that we don't have yet, but maybe we will one day. But uh, it is a great story. It's very intriguing. And for me, it's a book of the week because uh, just had me, you know, kind of reading every little word to see what I would miss or what I wouldn't catch. But then he's really great because we see more of what's going on, I guess, behind the, the scene, I guess. Yeah, very topical and timely book. And I, I go back and forth. I mean, uh, I know... Uh, in 2020, there were a lot of TV shows toward the end of the year that dealt with the pandemic. And it was sort of like, well, I need to be able to escape it. And I don't need it in my entertainment. I feel like comics, it hasn't been quite as in your face. Um, so seeing a comic where kind of the inciting event is a, a pandemic that then caused somewhat of the, the collapse of civilization. Uh, and, and it's not to the point where things are you know post-apocalyptic or anything, but uh, life certainly is, has changed for a lot of these people. Um, you know, we see certain people wearing masks, like Jay said, some of them are, have been affected by the, the pandemic. And it, it seems like the biggest change is, is a political one, you know, all from what we understand, all independent newspapers and news organizations collapsed during the pandemic because there's just so much disinformation going around and it, it definitely soured some, some people. And so the mentor that, uh, that Jay's talking about, he, he sort of gave up everything to keep trying to produce a newspaper, you know, a newspaper. And he was, you know, just making it himself and handing it out on street corners. And everybody thought of him as kind of this crazy guy. Whereas, uh, Satea, you know, she, she became a very disillusioned, became a private detective. Um, and so, you know, how this murder mystery is going to play out is going to be interesting. You know, the corruption of, um, of the mayor of the city is, is another thing that's, you know, sort of topical and timely and it's all tied in with truth and disinformation and seizing power in the midst of, you know, society breaking down. And, uh, again, just super topical for those that aren't aware, Van Jensen was a, uh, a, journalist a newspaper reporter himself before he became a writer so he definitely has the the cred if you will uh, to write a story like this so yeah I, I thought it was fascinating I thought it was great I thought the art was fantastic really intriguing as I said 30 pages or so um 28 pages so big chunk of story this is my book of the week as well once again aftershock just knocking it out of the park uh, if you're only going to read one comic this week this is what it should be. It's that good. And of course, oh, yeah. you know, first issue, don't need to read anything else before you pick this up. So highly, highly recommended. Uh, okay. Another book I highly recommend, Black Widow, which has been fantastic, continues continues to be so. Remember, this was the Eisner winner uh, last year in 2021 for Best New Series. So we're up to issue number 13. It's from writer Kelly Thompson. We have a new artist, I think, He's just on for this one issue, I hope, because I, uh, not that his art is bad, but I love Elena Casagrande's work on the book. But anyway, on this one, we have Raphael Pimentel. Jordi Belair does the colors, Corey Petit on letters. Adam Hughes gives us a great cover as usual. So a little bit of a, a watercolor style. It almost looks like a combination between watercolor and color pencils because it, it has a texture. The art has a texture to it that straight watercolor doesn't normally have. So I don't know. I, I would guess if I had to, that Raphael's working digitally here, but he's choosing, you know, watercolor type brushes and then using some sort of inking uh, for texture. So it gives a very distinct and unique feel to the art. Uh, and it, it does work. It's, it's not my favorite style of art because it's not really clean, but it does work in as much as it's the whole story is flashback. Uh, and because of the way it's colored by Jordi Belair, um, it, it does look sort of washed out, you know, like you would see in, in like a, a TV show where it's a flashback scene and the colors aren't as vibrant. So on that level, it definitely works. She's in her old uh, gray 
uh, Black Widow outfit. She had the you know short red hair and the, the gold um, bracelets or whatever you have, wristbands or whatever you want to call them, that, where she fired her widow's bite from. So it's definitely a familiar costume for Black Widow in the 80s. Not, it's not her first costume, which most people will remember was the, the tight black leather suit when she had the long red hair and she had the, the gold circles as a belt. This is her second costume, the one that most people would know her from when she was in Daredevil in the, in the 80s, later in the 80s, mid to late 80s. Um, so it, it, in that way, it sort of solidifies what era of Black Widow, not that it necessarily was happening in the 80s now because the Marvel's whole sliding timeline thing, but you do know what era of, of Black Widow this is just based on the costume. And so the whole issue is a, a fight with uh, Blade. Um, that's what he's called, right? Uh, li- the living blade, which uh, we saw her confront last issue when she was uh, was investigating the Golden Gate Gala, the supposedly a charity event. And when she went to find out what was going on behind the scenes, uh, she was confronted by the living blade. And, you know, she we had never heard of them, but, you know, she was Black Widow was just terrified. Natasha was terrified. So this is the first part of the die by the blade part one of six uh or is it four yeah that's a four sorry part one of four die by the blade uh and we're getting our context about just who the the blade is and and basically the whole issue is just one big fight where natasha doesn't necessarily have the upper hand um but it it's fantastic in the way that kelly thompson the writer presents it uh and then pimental renders it because it shows just how relentless black widow is how even though she could be losing the fight she won't give up so uh, i really appreciated that it's great context for uh for who natasha is and just how formidable this living blade is so i imagine this is only their first meeting so i imagine the next couple of issues will be more of that more flashback with natasha fighting him at at various times over the years so uh, again i don't know if pimentel i've been paying enough attention to the solicits if Pimentel is going to continue on the art. I think it would be nice if each of these issues, if it is a, you know, technically a different era or many years have passed in between these fights that they get a different artist for each one, I think would be interesting. And if Jordi Belair colors it in a slightly different style, that would work as well. But uh, I, this is, this is a fantastic issue. It's just one big fight and it's a brutal fight at that with some, with some interesting art. So uh okay up next from jay we have captain marvel number 35 uh it's written by kelly thompson same writer i was just talking about Uh, art is by sergio de villa inks are by sean parsons colors by jesus arbitov and letters by clayton cowell so last of the marvels part four uh what do you think jay I'm going to say real quick, uh, I like that old uh, Black Widow outfit. (laughs) I I, I, I thought it was kind of cool to see that. (laughs) It's one of my, yeah, it's one of my favorites too, that old gray, gray outfit. (laughs) So in this one, we know that uh, Vox Supreme, you know, uh, is trying to make his own army of Marvels. And uh, Captain Marvel herself was captured in the black suit. Uh, But uh, she's, I guess, helped to, she gets out, but uh, I guess the being that she created, I know it was another issue before that she, she did this before with the same kind of like, uh, she kind of like copied herself, I guess. But I think this one's gonna be a little different. I think uh, that's kind of a neat little surprise when you get away, but I think there's gonna be more to that uh, character that she, I, being that she creates. But this is good. Uh, she, uh, she gets out. Um, we find out that we get the uh, other heroes are uh, helped out as well. But it's kind of uh, more than just them, as we see in the story. It's really good. Uh, the ending's kind of neat because we get some uh, other heroes showing up in the, to help out with the battle. But I thought it was a really uh, good book. There's a lot of fight scenes in it. And I, uh, I always like this uh, title. There's, it's never disappointing. I'm just curious what they're going to do with this other, I guess, new character, or I guess you can say. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm always intrigued by reading this title. Is it a new character though? That's well, thing, I mean, like yeah, it's kind of hard to say. It's like I don't think she's like new, new because she's been she's done it before. But I think this one's, you know, it's it seems like it's a little bit more different this time around, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, when she did it before, kind of an energy projection, and then immediately reabsorbed that energy projection, right? But even even Carol in this issue, when she creates the energy projection this time, she senses there's something different. You know, it's like it's more solid. You know, I sense a difference, and then 
with the costume that this energy being creates for itself later on, I was like, wait, what? That is really (laughs) interesting because that character, and again, I'm trying to be vague and not give it away, but that character, I feel like, I I don't know that we ever got enough of that. Like I liked that character. Right. And I feel like we, I feel like that character had some unrealized potential. So if this energy being ends up being like, I don't really understand how it can be that character. And we still have Captain, you know, Carol is Captain Marvel, but I don't know, like really, really cool concept from, from Kelly Thompson and, and really cool concept to see all these different Captain Marvels coming together, right? Like the Monica Rambo, Captain Marvel, who's now called Spectrum, Janice Vell, uh, Marvel Boy. It's just, it's fantastic. And of course, whenever Spider-Woman shows up in a Captain Marvel book or Captain Marvel, uh, Spider-Woman rather, whenever Spider-Woman shows up in a Captain Marvel book or Captain Marvel shows up in the Spider-Woman book. I love that because Carol and Jessica Drew's uh, relationship is one of my favorites in comics. Like their friendship's fantastic. So yeah, I mean, next Battle Royale. I can't wait. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a fun team with this. It's a fun team when you see those two together. I, I agree. It's it's fun. Yeah, and the Sergio Davila art, like I was sad to see Lee Garbett leave the series, but if he had to leave, uh, I'm not that familiar with Sergio Davila, but Man, he's knocking out of the park. This art is gorgeous. The color work uh, from um, Jesus Arbatov is awesome. So, yeah, really, really enjoying Captain Marvel. Like, I just, I, I really cannot stress enough how much I love the voice that Kelly Thompson gives Captain Marvel in this book and, and the voice she gives Natasha in the Black Widow book. Like, for my money, Kelly Thompson is the best writer to ever write these two characters. Like I these agree. are these are the definitive runs in my mind. They're so good. Like I hope Kelly stays on both both of these characters for a long time. <laughs> Lo- I'd loved a hundred issue run of Captain Marvel by Kelly Thompson and Black Widow by Kelly Thompson's. But I guess we'll see. You never know because Marvel likes to interrupt runs with big events and whatnot. So who knows what might happen? Uh, okay. Up next for me, we have Captain America Iron Man number two. From writer Derek Landy, art by Angel Nzuta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, this is an interesting one. So Captain America and Iron Man have teamed up and they're going after this fugitive called Veronica Eden. She's a former government employee. I think she was working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Tony feels really guilty because Tony recommended her and like Tony dated her or something and recommended her to shield. And then it turns out she was like this double agent. She had ties to Hydra. She was trying to actually take over Hydra and and become the leader of Hydra. And she, it's all wrapped up in the 50 state initiative, which I wasn't reading any Marvel at that time. Um, But post-civil war, there was this 50 state initiative where the Avengers were trying to recruit a new hero from every one of the States. And they would be like a, technically an Avenger reserve member and it would give the Avengers a way to, you know, cover the whole country, but uh, it didn't really work. And Tony even mentions sort of why in this issue about like who wants to be the hero for Ohio or nothing ever happens. So you, you, you kind of get it, but, um, but the story is interesting and it, it and it's fun uh, because it seems like one of the, one of the um, heroes that was recruited to the 50 state initiative, who's called 51 actually is this alien and he doesn't, he doesn't speak English and even the word balloons aren't translated and we don't know exactly what he's after, but he seems to be working with Veronica at some points and then working against her at other points. Meanwhile, Steve and Tony are just trying to bring Veronica to justice um, because she escaped while she was being transported from um, imprisonment to her trial. And they're also trying to stop this 51 who they don't know what, exactly what his uh, motives are either. So it's a really action-packed story. Uh, I feel like it's instant classic because it's got a great dynamic between Captain America and Iron Man. And Derek Landy, he's one funny guy. Like he, he writes the story. So it, it's still a serious story, right? Like it's not this over-the-top funny. It doesn't try too hard to be funny. Like 
maybe Taskmaster, like that series did, or Howard the Duck or something like that, where, you know, you look at it and you know it's a humor comic and the jokes can feel kind of forced and you don't, you don't f- actually find it funny. This is like a serious comic with a lot of action. The humor comes in from the fact that this, uh, <laughs> this Veronica character, she takes herself so seriously and she's really sarcastic and it so it brings a lot of humor into the story and also the interaction between um steve and tony because they've known each other so long and and uh, derek landy writes them that way he he writes them the way two friends who've known each other for decades actually talk to each other they don't take themselves too seriously they give each other a bad time or hard time about things sometimes uh and it just it comes across authentic and humorous while at the same time there's still the stakes in the story there's still consequences so i think it's fantastic the art by angel unzetta really really good um you know he filled in on a few issues of iron man the christopher cantwell run when kafu uh, probably needed a break or, or to get caught up so uh the art's fantastic really fine lines just really really clean art beautiful colors uh, yeah, this, this, again, it's not one that you need to be caught up on like what's going on other Marvel books or whatever. You can just pick this up on its own, uh, and not know anything else that's going on in, in the pages of Marvel comics right now and just enjoy a good Captain America and Iron Man story. Like if you're a fan of the MCU and you're like, Oh, I don't know what to read. Cause you know, I don't know what's going on in Jason Aaron and Avengers or, or what's going to Captain America or Iron Man or whatever. And I, and I don't know don't want to spend the money to get caught up or, or whatever you want to just pick up something that only on issue two. And I'm sure you can find issue one. You can pick this up. Don't need to read anything else and you can get caught up and, and enjoy a really good story. So, uh, okay. Up next for Jay, we have a new title from image. It's called a monkey meat and it's by a creator named Junie Ba. Uh, with special authorization from the monkey meat company. And I don't, I don't know if the monkey meat company is a, real company or not uh but apparently junie ba is doing it all um art lettering writing it's a weird one i, I didn't read it uh, it looked pretty out there uh, what'd you think jay it was funny uh it's no no, no mystery monkey meat is actually monkey meat and um it starts off with advertisement that you know everybody you know you don't know what you don't know what you want for dinner breakfast or whatever you try some monkey meat you know everybody loves it so the artwork is 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 very different but um it fits the story believe it or not because uh it's just an island where they make monkey meat and so we find out uh one of the characters that you know lives in the island and how he's kind of misused to help this corporation the uh, the person does the contracts. <laughs> I guess you find out that he can contract anybody in the story. It's it's really good. It's very if you're looking for something really different and kind of out there, this is probably the book for you because it's such an intriguing story. It kind of reminds me of uh, oh, uh, those Cartoon Network uh, old cartoons with uh, what was it with the ninja guy with the sword? Oh my goodness, my brain's Samurai Jack. That's that's where I, that's the feel I get from. It's like Samurai Jack kind of story. But it's really good. The uh, the contractor, uh, the salesman, called the salesman. He can like sell to anybody. So that's how he tricks the the being on this island to work for him. There's a lot going on in the story. I don't want to give too much, but it's really good. Uh, pretty much the main character is trying to get out of it. His name is Lug. He's trying to get away from the corporation. You think he does, but the very end you find out that it doesn't work out that way for him. He's kind of stuck with the corporation because the, the other guy makes another deal with uh higher higher beings in, in heaven to get what he needs to make a new uh experimental compound <laughs> but so if is, you look it, at, is it an ongoing or is it just this one shot no it's ongoing there's a set back at the back of it says there's another issue coming out so there's a second issue coming out hmm. you have me intrigued i may have to try to check that out before the next issue drops we'll see but yeah, if you're looking for something strange, different and kind of out there, um this is definitely it was it was worth your time. It's definitely entertaining. Is it like ice cream man weird? Does it reach that? No, no, it's not, it, no, no, it's not even that, not that type of weird. It's just when you read, you'll get it. I mean, the artwork, it, it, it fits the story that you're reading. It, it's a little different, but it's perfect. And you just got to catch a little uh, details in the artwork. It's, it's pretty funny. So more humorous than 
creepy. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's nothing like uh, like that at all. It's definitely more humorous. It's, it's funny. Gotcha. Okay, well, speaking of creepy and weird, uh, Darkhold Omega from writer Steve Orlando, Siren Tormi is the artist, Roberto Poggi with Mark Deering and Walden Wong are the inkers, Jesus Arbatov on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. This finishes off the Darkhold story. Um, so <laughs> it's been an interesting ride. Um, basically, the demon Sathan is trying to come back to Earth, and because Dr. Doom uh, unearthed the Darkhold book and, and read part of it, he's given Sathan more power. So Scarlet Witch takes it upon herself to stop him. She's Her and Sathan have always been at odds. They're sort of uh, arch nemeses. And the only way that the five heroes that Scarlet Witch recruits to help her defeat Sathan, the only way they can get to the realm where he lives is to read a little bit of the book of Darkhold, but not too much that they themselves become evil. So Iron Man, Blade, Wasp, Black Bolt, and Spider-Man read some of the book, but they read too much and they sort of become evil themselves. And we had a series of one shots for each of them that showed how they had sort of become evil. And now we get this Darkhold Omega book, which finishes off the story that started in Darkhold Alpha. So uh, Scarlet Witch not only has to contend with Sathan and Dr. Doom trying to get the Darkhold book, um, and Sathan trying to come to Earth, she has to contend with getting these five soldiers that she chose to actually be her, her teammates and fight Sathan. So um, she's got a lot going on. She's got a lot going on. And I, I, I find the timing interesting. I'll say that because we just recently had the trial of Magneto where Scarlet Witch had been killed and then resurrected in the pages of. And I, I talked when I was covering that book about how it felt like Marvel was trying to redeem Scarlet Witch in a lot of ways. I, I feel like Scarlet Witch gets a bad rap sometimes because, she, because of the nature of her powers, the fact that her powers are to warp reality, to change reality itself. So sometimes when Marvel wants to do something editorially, that's a big change. They, oh, we'll just have Scarlet Witch do it, right? But then she gets blamed, like it's her fault, you know, even though it's really an editorial decision. Like Marvel editorial decides there's just way too many mutants to keep track of. We need to, we need to cut it down. We need to make it more special to be a mutant. Oh, we'll just have Scarlet Witch say no more mutants, right? And then everybody hates Scarlet Witch because she got rid of their favorite mutant. When I get it, like in story, in continuity, yes, it's her fault, but Really, it's just Marvel editorial saying, how can, we, how can we write a story that makes sense for this to happen? Oh, we'll just have Scarlet Witch do it. She's like this plot device. And so it's interesting because I, this Darkhold story I had heard was supposed to come out um, in 2020, and then it got pushed back. But I don't think that the, the trial of the Magneto story was supposed to come out in 2020. So I'm not sure if this story changed at all or, or what have you, but... It, the, the ending of this does feel like it coincides and matches up really well with the end of Trial of Magneto, which has us basically anticipating more Scarlet Witch in 2022. I mean, at the, at the end of the last page on this issue, which is a beautiful splash page by Siren Tormi, it says, the Scarlet Witch will return. So uh, it definitely feels like there's going to be some big doings with Scarlet Witch in this next year and i don't know if it's because of the success of her tv show or if marvel just decided man we owe scarlet witch for using her as a plot device all these years um but it's it's interesting and uh, this issue uh because i've gone back and forth about how i sort of feel about this little mini event but i am a scarlet witch fan and this this issue from steve orlando really gives scarlet witch her due and shows how formidable she is um like beyond her power, just how capable she is um, beyond her powers. Cause I sort of feel like a lot of times it, it's not only Marvel editorial that's used Scarlet Witch's powers as a crutch, but a lot of writers have used her power as a crutch. Like what's her personality where her personality is her powers. You know, it's, I feel like I don't know who Scarlet Witch is without her powers. You know, I, you could make the argument. I know who Tony Stark is if you take him out of the armor or, Steve Rogers, if he's when he's not Captain America, or even Peter Parker. But when Scarlet Witch doesn't have her powers, 
like, who is she? What kind of person is she? Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like I know hardly anything about her. I feel like she's well-defined. So if that's what Marvel's trying to do this year, I, I applaud them for that. So um, the other thing is, I don't even think you need to read those five one shots. You can, if you want, I don't even necessarily think you need to read Darkhold Omega or uh, uh, Darkhold Alpha rather. You can sort of pick this up and between the little paragraph recap and then what happens in the story, you want to read a really cool Scarlet Witch story, you can pick this up and read it on its own. I, because the setup, I think, isn't that important. And the one shots, while interesting, again, they don't, there's nothing that's critical that happened in the one shots that you need to know in order to read this story. So if you're just looking for a kick ass Scarlet Witch story, I, you can pick it up and check it out all on its own. Uh, okay, up next, we have another one shot. This is in the world of Noctera. And this is from uh, Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel on the story. Uh, Tony S. Daniel usually uh, draws the Noctera stories, but this time they got a guest penciler. The legendary Dennis Cowan handles the pencil duties. Kent Williams handles the inks. Chris Sotomayor on colors and world design does letters. And it's Noctera Blacktop Bill special. So this one was pretty terrifying. What do you think, Jay? Oh, yeah, I agree. It's like... Uh... We know he's like the main villain in the you know the story of uh, Noctera. So this is pretty much a backstory of, of this character, how he came to be, and he finally was actually kind of like you know kind of a badass before the the big PM hit. He was a hitman for hitmen. That's was pretty much what he was. But he had like a special niche for um, I don't want to give it too much. I don't want to give that away. But he has a special niche for certain people that he has to complete what. They, they didn't happen to him. It's just really weird. He's very, uh, he's just dark <laughs> to begin with before he became, you know, uh, Blacktop Bill. But I do like the banter as you're reading the, uh, the little like uh, bubbles in there. It's uh, actually uh, her talking to, I guess, I forgot the. Um, yeah, it's kind of the, the dispatcher and one of yeah. the fairy men that are talking. The, the, and the, the dispatcher is, uh, her name's Mother. I think they call her Mother. That's um, it, yeah, uh, yeah, and she's she's telling telling basically the the legend of Blacktop Bill. But it was cool. I mean, uh, I understand that they probably wanted to keep this away. They didn't want to get off the story that they're on now, so they had to do like a special one hit to do the uh, the backstory. So this one kind of made sense. Sometimes I feel like uh, like Marvel, especially, will do that just to get more money. But this one, I think they had to because they didn't want to disrupt the uh, the story flow of the other uh, series. So I liked it. I appreciate it, and it was just nice to know a little more about this character. But yeah, he was just a terrible person before he got this power that he had. Yeah, I think you're underselling it to call him a terrible person. I mean, this guy was, first of all, <laughs> first of all, just a, a minute, like truly menacing. Like, obviously, there's some, there, there's a little bit of a supernatural feel in Noctera. We're not a, you know, we're not a hundred percent. Like, I think Scott and Tony Daniel sort of present it as like a, a scientific happening, uh, not not anything too supernatural or too like magic based or spiritually based, but there's hints of it. Like it could possibly be, but a lot of it seems to be sort of more science fiction than, um, than like, you know, straight horror magic or whatever. But that being said, there's a, there's a mystical aspect to just how evil blacktop bill seems. Right. And then when you get this origin for him, um, first of all, you think, yeah, this guy's like a physically and technically a total badass, like a hitman of, you know, a, a hitman of hitmen. Like if you're a, a, a mafia family and, and one of your hitmen is, is gotten out of control or you think they know too much, you know, who do you call to take out somebody who's that formidable? You call Blacktop Bill because he's, he's a step above like everybody else, right? But beyond that, like his hobby, you know, that's his, that's in the story they call his day job. But then he has this hobby that puts him on another level in terms of like being evil and sort of walking hand in hand with death. And so th they even sort of hint at the story that um, Blacktop Bills may be like the one person that's happy that the big PM hit because now the world is even a, 
a better place for him to live in based on his sort of outlook and, and philosophy on life or, or death, if you want to put it that way. So yeah, he, he is a, a really terrifying uh, character and not terrifying because it's, he's unknown or he's spooky or you don't, you know, he's terrifying because you, you actually know it's, it's, he's not terrifying because you're not sure what he'll do. He's terrifying because you know exactly what he'll do, you know, and, <laughs> and, and the fact that he's got the chops to, to actually do what he wants to do, which seems like he wants to just kill everybody. So yeah, he's, he's a, he's a bad dude. That's all there is to it. Um, and I thought the art by Dennis Cowan was, was really good. Like um, just really visceral and really kind of suited the, the, the tone of the story. I think Scott and Tony wanted to tell. So yeah, this fits in very well with uh, the tone of, of Noctera, which has been, it's one of those stories I've talked about this before. Like when you're reading it, you'll get that like chill down your back. Cause it's kind of spooky and scary. You know, like when you're walking down a dark hallway at night, there's no light on and you get that chill. Like somebody's behind you. I get that feeling a lot when I read Noctera because it's, it's got that level of, you never know what might happen. And, you know, it is a little bit of the, the fear of the unknown. This one shot brings a level of fear, not again, not because it's unknown, but because now blacktop bill as readers, we do know, we do know, and it's not fear of the unknown, but it's fear of knowing exactly what he's capable of. Like not somebody you'd want to run into in a dark alley. And in, in the world of Noctera, all the alleys are dark and all the streets are dark and everything's dark. So yeah, he's in his element uh, in the world of Noctera for sure. So yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic job by everybody. Uh, okay. Up next, uh, I have another Marvel book. It's Inferno number four. This is the final issue of the series and Jonathan Hickman's final statement on uh, this new status of the X-Men that he created with House of X and Powers of X. Art is by Valero Schutti and Stefano Caselli. David Curiel on colors, Joe Sabino on letters, Wow. That's all I have to say. Wow. I mean, Jonathan Hickman, you want to talk about dropping the mic on his run on X-Men. Now, don't get me wrong. He had, you know, he, he had still kind of had outlines for future storyline and what have you. And a lot of the writers that he brought on to, to write in the X-Men corner of the Marvel universe are going to continue and they'll, you know, take his lead and, and, you know, flesh out plans he had or whatever. But as far as him being directly involved, this is his, his final issue. And he knocked it out of the park. I can't talk about any of the big story beats because I don't want to spoil it for anybody because this was one of those books where as I'm reading it and things happen, it was like, wait, holy shit, what? And then you read a couple more pages and you're like, holy shit, that happened too? Like it is, it is crazy. And what's really fantastic about it is how far back Hickman planted these seeds. Like there's a lot of stuff from House of X and Powers of X that a lot of story threads that Hickman hasn't even touched until he gets to Inferno. And some of those people, uh, you know, I can already hear some, some X-Men readers complaining about it. Well, he didn't flesh that out at all. He didn't flesh out like the future timeline at all. And then, he only drops hints of it here in Inferno and the story's still not finished and, and Hickman's done. Well, that's not to say he couldn't come back. It's not to say somebody else doesn't know what he had planned. I just thought it was fantastic. Um, he has completely upset the apple cart on his way out the door. Um, and while everything that he's built and established is still there with the way he kind of finished his story it was a great final statement from him and it and even though there were outlines and plans and he has talked to people that doesn't mean they necessarily have to follow what hickman had planned and that's the brilliant thing about what he's done in this in this four issue miniseries inferno he's created a situation where the people that are still left working on the X-Men books have the freedom to totally go 
off of the path that he has planned if they so choose. So it's, it's really interesting what he's done. He's, he's left the status quo that he's created in place, but he has given them an out. They can, I mean, Marvel could choose to completely redo it and wipe out all, all the stuff, which man, I can only imagine how mad people would be. Wait, everything I've read from the Hickman stuff, the last three, four years, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, Cause they could revert it back to before Hickman or they could keep this in place and, and reintegrate mutants into the regular Marvel universe and not have Krakow. Like the, the sky really is the limit. They could literally do anything. And that's, what's so awesome about what Hickman has done here. So um and maybe that's spoiling a little bit too much and maybe I'm misreading it and that's not actually what it is, but I'll say, read it for yourself and find out. Um, and I can't even tell you what the title of the series or the title of this issue is. Cause if I did that, even the title itself would give it away. Um, but man, it, 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 it blew me away. It really, really did. I almost picked this for my book of the week, but I just, it just slightly edged out uh, by bylines and blood because that one, you don't need to have any history, you know, have read anything before. Whereas Inferno, obviously you're going to at least have to have read House of X and Powers of X. And then, uh, you know, an intimate knowledge of, of the history of the X-Men also helps to give context to the story as well. But man, what an issue, great art, a lot of action. A lot of fantastic scenes. I mean, the, the colors leap off the page. You know, the, it's nearly a perfect comic. I mean, it's so good. The emotion, the stakes, the consequences, just, man, best X-Men comic I've read in quite some time, no doubt. Uh, okay, last book Jay's going to talk about, and hopefully I can pronounce these names right. Uh, it's Wastelanders Doom, number one, from Torin Gronberg. Julius Ota is the artist, Brian Valenza on colors, Corey Petit on letters. Uh, and yeah, Torin Gronbeck, uh, that's, a, I think, a Scandinavian name. So not sure exactly. I'm not familiar with that writer at all, but this was probably my favorite of the Wastelanders stories that we've gotten so far. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I like Doom Story. I mean, of all the evil villains that are out there in the Marvel Universe, he's so meticulous. And he's a genius. That's why you're like, okay, they got him. And like, no, he has a, you know, something up his sleeve. And that's what I like the character. Yeah, he's a bad guy, but man, he's just a fascinating character. Uh, this is fun because he's just um, pretty much, you know, the ruler of his own land, but he kind of wants to expand and see what's out there, you know, because he, he wants, I guess, uh, a, a challenge. He's kind of bored. He's already done everything. Guess what it seems like to me? He finds a town, but it's not what it appears to be. And of course, he senses magic, but he has all these tools prepared to find the source of the magic, which is, you know, typical doom. So uh, it was fun. There was a lot of action going on. There's a lot of sequences uh, that he has to uh, give up, I guess, to get to like the, the main villain of the story. And we get that crazy book in this again for some reason, but we also get another uh, old, uh, I don't know, I guess a villain. We haven't seen it forever. I guess they just kind of brought her back because I think of the um, the TV show on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that's why on Disney, but you really haven't heard, they haven't heard, really heard from her for a long time, but they bring her in this story, which is kind of nice. But then it's kind of like, okay, so what happens now? Because, you know, he's doom is doom. He's still going to, I guess, be the king of the, the world still. But he has that one item that he, you know, has for himself. It was a fun book. It was very entertaining. Uh, if I didn't have the other book, I definitely would have picked this book because I just like doom. He's just an intriguing character. And I like the Fantastic Four. So it's just nice when he appears to, to mess with them. Yeah, I sort of didn't. Well, I shouldn't say that I didn't like it. Um but it wasn't, it wasn't surprising. It was sort of predictable. Um, and that's kind of what I don't like about doom. Cause like you said, doom is doom. And so everything that happens here is kind of what you expect to happen, even though uh, I'll give credit to the writer Torin Kronbeck for trying to surprise us. Uh, but I haven't read a, a doom story since Christopher Cantwell's Dr. Doom series that, that that was like the one doom story that I've read in like the last 20 years where I actually was starting to think that doom was, was changing 
becoming, you know, growing, evolving, maturing, whatever you want to say. Um, but otherwise, doom is always doom. He's always the smartest guy in the room. And so even when you're reading about him and you think that somebody else has the upper hand, you know, doom always turns around, you know, on that person. And so that that's I feel like that's what happens in this story. And so it's not surprising, you know, like it's more surprising when doom loses than when he wins. Uh, so it was still very good. Uh, and the art was fantastic. It just, it wasn't surprising. So no, no, no. But it's just, yeah. I just think it's neat how he does, you know, how he does what he does. So that's why yeah. I think he's an yeah, interesting that, character. Yeah, that is true. Uh, it is cool how he always outsmarts everybody. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the actual steps he takes. Uh, all right. Last book I'm going to mention Ordinary Gods from Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark as writers. Felipe Wantanabe is on. Uh, the art colors are by Frank William letters by Clayton Cowles. This continues to be a fascinating book uh, with these gods that have been reincarnated over time and throughout history. And um, we know the, the rebellion um, that, or the rebellious gods that we're trying to overthrow the, the more controlling or fascist gods. And, and then we're in prison on earth. The five of them have, have never been awake all at the same time. You know, whenever they're reincarnated as a, a human, they don't have their memories. And then, you know, one or two of them will gain, regain their memories and realize they're gods and try to recruit the others. And then it's a, a race uh, for survival and um, to, to make contact with the other five. They've never managed to have all five uh, awakened, as they say at the same time because their jailers always manage to kill one or more of the, the gods that have remembered who they are. So um, th this is a big step forward for the, the rebellious gods in this uh, issue, but it might not, it might not turn out the way that they hoped it would, right? Like when you're, when you're striving for a goal for, for, you know, decades and decades and then you finally achieve it it may not be what you think it will be you know like it's not so much be careful what you wish for it's just um just because you've reached a certain milestone that doesn't mean your the battle or the war has ended right like and, and this has been what the focus of the rebellious gods has been for so long so now okay now you've achieved it now what and have you really achieved it can it last like because the forces of the other gods are still uh, aligned against you as are just life you know like life on earth which isn't suited for these gods and and you know the, the vast majority of people don't realize what's going on with this magic and these gods and the reincarnation and whatnot so it's just it's a big book in terms of scope we're only six issues in so it's surprising how much action and whatnot has, has gone down and uh, give a lot of credit to Kyle Higgins. And, and he's brought on Joe Clark to help him for um, all the moving parts and giving us room for the story to breathe. When it's a story that's so big, the, the danger could be that it's so big and you're, you're telling the story from such a high level to make sure you're not leaving out anything that it doesn't, that you don't give enough space to the characters for them to become relatable and for the readers to invest in them. Um, that hasn't happened here. Um, the characters are intriguing and unique. We haven't learned about all of them yet. Uh, we may not be pulling for all of the re rebellious gods yet, but we're getting there. Uh, you can, you can kind of see their different personalities and their unique interactions with each other based on who they were as rebellious gods and, and the lives that the, the lives that they've led as, uh, as whatever, you know, most recent person they've been, been reincarnated as plus the famous historical figures that they've been reincarnated as over time, because part of the reason that, Albert Einstein or Joseph Stalin or, you know, whoever these historical figures, part of the reason those historical figures became who they were is unbeknownst to them. They were actually these gods who maybe weren't aware at the time. So very interesting to think about, you know, Benjamin Franklin or 
Cleopatra or whoever, right? Like the, these historical figures in, in uh, human history who became who they were and became famous and influential because they actually were these gods that had so much power in this other realm. So uh, again, big story in scope, uh, but Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark are giving it consequence and, and emotion. And the art from Felipe Watanabe has been fantastic throughout. Very dynamic, very clean style, really great uh, emotions and facial expressions. The color work is uh, done very well also by Frank William. It's a little bit of a muted palette, which gives it uh, some realism as opposed to going with a really primary color palette. Like I always talk about, which gives uh, a really superhero feel, like a classic superheroic feel to a book. This isn't a book about superheroes. So uh, having a little bit of a, a muted palette works really, really well. Uh, okay, let me give a rundown on some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, let's see, from AWA Studios, there's a new uh, miniseries starting called Fourth Man. I don't know uh, anything about what it's about. Um, uh, I will also say that from AWA, the last of Garth Ennis's uh, Marjorie Finnegan Temporal Criminal, number eight of eight, is also out, uh, which has been a really fun ride. And then Not All Robots from Mark Russell's out. Uh, Bad Idea has Odin's Eye, number four of five, uh, over at DC. And again, you can check these out on our DC Spotlight. We have Arkham City, The Order of the World, number four of six, Batman, number 119. Crush and Lobo, number eight of eight. Dark Knights of Steel, number three of 12. That's the sort of Elseworlds fantasy mixed with superheroes from Tom Taylor. Detective Comics, 1047. We have Justice League Incarnate, number three of five from Joshua Williamson. Uh, Suicide Squad, number 11. One Star Squadron, number two of six. Superman, Son of Kal-El is also up to number six, and World of Krypton from writer Robert Venditti is up to number two of six. So if you're not familiar with the history of Krypton, definitely recommend checking out that book. Uh, over at uh, Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, Hellcop number three is out, spawns up to issue 325, and Walking Dead Deluxe is up to number 30. Uh, over at Marvel, Again, we talked about most of these books, but uh, there's also Electra Black, White, and Blood, number one of four, which tells a bunch of different Electra stories in a limited color palette. I'm really sort of tired of those type of anthologies, to be honest with you, so uh, I did not check it out. Uh, we also have Marvel's number seven, Shang-Chi number seven, uh, over in the Star Wars corner of the Marvel Universe, Star Wars Doctor Afra number 17, and we have X-Men number six. Uh, over at Titan, Horizon Zero Dawn Liberation, number four. I know that's a pretty popular title, and I think that's it. Anything else you want to mention, Jay? Uh, no, I think uh, you covered everything. It's, it's kind of a short, uh, small week, I guess you can say. There's not a lot of, a lot of titles this week. Yeah, people recovering for the holidays still, I guess, because I, I felt the same way. Like, man, there wasn't that. And in fact, before I got the Marvel uh, press copies, I was like, oh, this be a rather short episode. But uh, we still end up covering 12 books for you. So a lot of good stuff out there. Definitely check out Bylines in Blood. Uh, if you're an X-Men person, man, you're going to be blown away by uh, Inferno number four. So definitely check that out. And the uh, the Noctera Black Bill, Blacktop Bill special was, was fantastic as well. So uh, don't forget to check out our Spawn Daily episodes. Go check out the DC Spotlight from yesterday if you're curious about the DC books. And that'll do it. So really appreciate you guys joining as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. 
All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.